and welcome back to Identity Architects, the podcast that spotlights pioneers in our industry who are changing the way that data is used to drive more engaging data-driven experiences. I'm your host, Ben Cicchetti, and for this special Women's History Month episode of Identity Architects, our senior customer success manager, Nora Hannell, had the opportunity to chat with Jessica Gotardo, head of commercial data product at Global, to discuss Global's approach to first-party data, female empowerment, women in tech, and much, much more. Before I hand it over to Nora and Jessica, just a reminder to hit that subscribe button so you know when the latest episodes of Identity Architects lands. But without any further delay, here's Nora's chat with Jessica. Hi Jess, so pleased to be here with you today. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with me and have a good old-fashioned chinwag. I'm already a big fan of yours, but for anyone who doesn't know you, would you please give us an intro to who you are and what you do at Global, as well as an overview of the organization? Hi, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, So I've been at Global for about a year and a half now. Um, For anyone that doesn't know, Global is a publisher which covers audio, DAX, which is our digital ad exchange, and outdoor as well, so kind of a huge expanse. Um, I'm the head of data product, which means that um, my team and myself look at how we can enhance and expand Global's product portfolio across all channels um, through innovation using both all kind of first, second and third party data sources um, with the view of being able to target, measure and report as effectively as possible. Uh, So my team kind of spearhead that and we work alongside data strategy and other data teams such as data science in order to be able to really kind of push, push the projects and work streams through. Amazing. Thanks so much, Jess. And thanks for tuning in, lovely listener. To give you a brief overview of the format, we'll start with a round of quick fire questions to get us warmed up before diving into more topical questions. So let's kick off with two of my favorite things, whimsy and nostalgia. Jess, do you have a favorite commercial from your childhood that stands out in your memory? That's a really hard question. I think especially, I guess, going back 20 odd years, um, adverts were kind of or commercials were more kind of central you didn't have the streaming services like you do now so you were kind of forced forced to watch them um i think a lot of the time commercials which are new novel probably just a bit annoying are the ones that you remember um so if you think of go compare or compare the market or even like howard in the halifax ads they're the ones that kind of really stand out and you would find yourself singing their little um kind of jingles for, for the rest of the day um i think about the uh the compare the market ad and I think I would love to have been in the room at the time where someone sat down and said you know what market sounds a bit like (laughs) and what the response was in the rest of the room I mean surely people kind of thought what what are you talking about but somewhere along the line someone thought that is a great idea and we're going to really commercialize on it as well so I think commercials that have that um like you said whimsy but also probably just like the slightly annoying feature to it yeah, yeah, 100%. I think personifying the brand and having um, kind of instant recall tied to a, a silly or um, kind of eccentric mascot is quite a good way of putting yourself on the map of advertising in someone's memory. When did you first start working in the advertising space? Um, so it was probably around six years ago. I was working at John Lewis at the time um, and moved into financial services within John Lewis um, as the data strategy and planning lead. Um, shortly after I joined, 
uh, there was a realization that GDPR was really fast approaching um, and there wasn't a marketing strategy at that time around um, around it, around where we're going to repermission the whole base. What was the plan, essentially? Um, I was quickly thrown into the middle of the CRM planning alongside John Lewis and Waitrose and essentially looking at how we were going to repermission our whole base, which was no mean feat at all. So um, before this, I've been much more in the data analytics kind of pure space um, rather than advertising. Um, but this really kind of threw me into it. And although it was incredibly stressful, a few months, very long days, very high kind of intense impact that we needed to kind of get 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 it across the line but with a really firm deadline um it did show how interesting it could be looking at the data in different ways to ensure that what we were sending out was kind of as relevant as possible to make sure that the brand whether it was john john lewis waitrose or john lewis finance um which brand reached out to an individual to make sure that it was most impactful for them to help drive that action to help drive that reconsent that sign in um sign mm -hmm. up again so from that point i kind of didn't look back um and i've been in the advertising kind of data-driven advertising space um ever since that's amazing so you were really on the forefront of data management and user privacy and how to target um, audiences with the right type of message quite early on. Yeah, absolutely. And I really wasn't from like a, I mean, I'm still not from a compliance background at all, but I soon became too much of a G GDPR expert um, mm -hmm. and kind of go-to person around what we could and couldn't do in that space. And it was really looking at how could we look at the data and how could we look at engagement across the three brands to identify how we should be looking to kind of speak to customers and really kind of get their buy-in to, to reconsent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, brilliant. I think that's what makes you such a good thought leader in the space today as well. And do you think that your academic background in psychology helped with that kind of ideation process in terms of understanding the user and how best to um, to meet them where they are from a business point of view? Yeah, I think so. I mean, to be perfectly honest, when I started in psychology, I had absolutely no idea uh, what I wanted to go into. I mean, it was a question as to whether I was even going to do psychology for a good period of time. I was <laughs> considering going into media, which may or may not be connected, however you however you look at it. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. And I so I did my undergrad in psychology and then I did a postgrad in forensic psychology um, mm -hmm. to really delve into it. Um, and actually, my first job was in the police. So linked very kind of heavily linked to the forensic psychology space. Um, but I soon realized that what I really enjoyed was what drives the behavior, what leads someone to do something, what leads a, spe a specific behavior, what attitudes lead to the behavior. Um, and that's really transferable here, looking at how do we drive action off the back of um, a campaign? Um, what are the levers that you can pull? What are the kind of behaviors that um, kind of drive interest or intent? How can you infer that off the back of understanding something? So what is it within a campaign that you can do that gets people to go to that website, that gets people to buy that product? And how do we make sure that we reach those people in the in the right moment? Um, so again, I mean, currently, I guess there's a broad expanse of kind of campaigns that we're running at Global. But when I was working at John Lewis, we had insurance products there as well. So how did we know that that person needed insurance in that moment? Because talking to them halfway through their um their contract was really no good other than to keep us front of mind. So how do we make sure that we spoke to them in the right moment so that we were kind of front of mind and front of consideration, really? Yep, 100%. That resonates with my personal career journey as well, because I studied psychology and philosophy at uni really? and, and thought, how do I apply this to the real world? And <laughs> advertising weirdly seemed like a good proxy for applying some of those concepts and ways of thinking to, um, to the real world. Looking back um, 
on those past experiences, knowing what you know now, uh, what would you have said to yourself when you first embarked on your career? Um, so as I said, like, I had really no idea what I wanted to go into when I was um, younger. Um, and even then, I would never have thought that I would have ended up in data. Um, and like with, within psychology, you have to take a, a statistics module. And that was like by far my least favorite um, module that I had to take within psychology. Um, and to be honest, I kind of fell into my career. So I think I'd say like kind of not to worry about defining a clear path. With, mm -hmm. I think part of the... And the aim within your first job or two should be to really start to understand and realize which parts of those jobs you enjoy and also which parts you're good at like really harness what you're naturally good at and get better at it and if you're not so good at it yes try to improve but let's really focus on what you're what you are good at and what you really enjoy so I think that's kind of the trick is not to worry or stress too much about um where you're going to end up but, but more look at within kind of the job that you first start in which parts do you enjoy and how can you kind of extrapolate those parts and find a job that really harnesses harnesses those areas um i think also it's that you don't know what you don't know so um mm -hmm. a big part of data i mean i had no idea that data was a job at school um at all <laughs> it was never mentioned to me and i think if it had been i'd have thought it was very you know number heavy and technical um and that's really not my background um or my expertise um so i think it's really like increasing awareness um awareness of what's out there fully aware you cannot make everyone aware of every job that's out there but i just think right. uh, really allowing you know children at, at, at that kind of secondary school teenage years to really understand what their options are yeah i think those are amazing nuggets of wisdom and allowing for some playfulness and intellectual curiosity to guide you to different kind of career experiences where you can over time hone um, the exact skill set or job that you're in, but you don't have to land in it immediately. It is kind of a process. So given the job that you have landed in now, can you please share um, what is it you love about the role and about the industry? Yeah, so, I mean, firstly, it's really fast-paced. Um, it is moving so quickly, whether that's different methodologies that are being used, technology that's available, different approaches. Um, everything is moving and evolving so quickly. So from GDPR through to the deprecation of cookies, you suddenly have to problem-solve and think around um, issues and, and ways of working that, that we currently really rely on. So in my role currently, my team um, work incredibly closely with data science, I'm very lucky that Global have an absolutely fantastic data science team. Um, and we sit down and we think around how we can tackle, for example, being able to increase scale. Um, and what are the methodologies that we can use that might be, or hopefully are innovative and uh, market leading. So with a wider group, for example, we sat down and we created DAX audiences, which makes non-addressable inventory targetable. Um, and now we're thinking with the deprecation of cookies, how can we really create a robust measure measurement solution? So how can we harness the power of first party data? And how can we enrich what we've got and make it really powerful, which is where you guys at InfoSum come into it um, as well. Um, but that's what I love, the thought of creating something new, thinking around a problem, because new problems are constantly arising and really sitting down to thinking, right, well, this is how we've used data before, but what do we yeah. have? What is, what's in our arsenal? And how can we use it in a slightly different way to really harness the power of it? Um, 
So being at the, at the centre of that kind of new thought process um, and hopefully we'll be creating really successful, exciting products at the end of it that are kind of market leading um, and actually kind of help answer that problem and that solution that um, kind of I feel like the industries are kind of everyone in the industry yeah. are, are kind of running after at the moment. Yeah, exactly. I think global is uh, um, an illustrious example of where you can get to by embracing a post-cookie world um, and thinking about how having a new currency that is much closer to the user can actually in- enhance the experiences that they'll have in engaging with advertising. So um, I agree. I think it's really exciting, feels very cutting edge, and also from kind of an ethical perspective is a nice way of rethinking uh, marketing. Um, if, if you could snap your fingers and change anything about that industry that we just said we love, um, what would it be? <laughs> um, I think the ability to measure anything on any channel in full detail would be amazing. <laughs> if I could literally snap my fingers and have my have my a genie with my with my three wishes. Um, <laughs> I mean, Mobile has a huge outdoor business as well, um, as well as as well as the audio side, and measuring mm-hmm. the effect of outdoor is a real challenge we we do have ways and means of doing it absolutely but we would i would love there to be a way that we can absolutely categorically say these people have seen (laughs) this frame and therefore we can kind of we can attribute this amount of the conversion to to outdoor um Mm. again with the deprecation of cookies measuring audio is going to have to change and adapt um adapt for it again something that that we're looking at and we're really confident that we're going to get um a solution However, if I could change one thing, it would be able to have all consents. Obviously, consent is, is at the front of everything, but all consents needed for everyone across all channels um, to be able to really prove the effectiveness of, of campaigns. Ah, uh, yeah, what a great world that would be. But it does seem like you're um, with the global player, for example, you are um, making really good strides in how best to, to meet your users where they are in a first party world. Um, is there anything when you reflect upon your day in the office that concerns you or that you feel frustrated by? Um, I try not to look at it in a, in a frustrated way. Problems always arise um, and they will. I tend to reflect on the work that myself and my team have done in that day. I think it's so easy to focus on the negatives and the blockers or the barriers. Um, and sometimes I think you've got to step back and realise... I have an amazing team. Um, they're made up of data visualization developers and data analysts. So at the end of the day or the week, just to sit back and see the amazing work they've done, there is so much going on at the moment. There is so much work happening, whether that's to do with targeting, how do we increase scale, looking at measurement, is that outdoor, is that DAX, is that audio, looking at how do we target more effectively? How do we create new audience segments? How do we report internally more effectively? How do we create self-serve tools? There is so much going on. It's so easy just to get caught up in the whirlwind of just every day. And at the end of the day or end of the week, I like just to step back and think, wow, we started that project a few weeks ago. Look how far it's come. Um, And to really reflect on the successes. And obviously you need to address the barriers and the frustrations to try to help speed them along. Um, But I think a slight change of my of kind of mindset around how can we focus in on on all the successes and the brilliant work that's being done and how can we supercharge that definitely and it sounds like that might also be what energizes you in the morning 
Yeah, absolutely. It's always been people. People energise me. Um, and luckily, I'm working on some really interesting projects, which also energise me. To, to be fair, you know, there's always a, a spectrum of work. But the fact that there are so many interesting projects going on at the moment, um, and as you said, even alongside that working with fantastic people, a mixture of working with people who do give you that energy, um, but also working on the projects which help drive our offering forward. I think a combination of both make every day um very exciting. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. Um, amazing. So for the final question in our uh, quick fire round, if your life had a theme song, what would it be? I mean, that is such a tough question. It probably depends on the day of the week that you catch me in the mood I'm in, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Everything <that> you like. <laughs> um, but as I said, I mean, both in like my professional life and my home life, the people that you surround yourself with are those who kind of give you energy. So I think I will go for kind of I'll be there for you by the Rembrandts, the Friends theme song, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite series anyway, um, and hopefully sums up um, sums up me a little bit. Love it. That's great. Thank you so much. Um, and as promised, now we will pivot into diving a little bit more deeply into your career and viewpoints on industry topics. Um, I'm also lucky enough to be sitting here with you today on International Women's History Month. So I'd love to celebrate your role in the industry as a leader, your achievements and all the growth opportunities you seized along the way. Um, could we start with a scenic tour of your career and if there is any common thread that connects your experiences, what that might be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'd say there are two main threads. One is data. Data has always been um, a common thread across all of my all of my roles and my career as a whole. And the other is looking at how people act and what drives them. So my first job, as I mentioned earlier, was at the police, which was much more kind of qualitative data and looking at finding themes within um, the information that I had. And all of the information was around people who'd committed crimes. So the part that I found really interesting was understanding what led a person to the point of committing that crime, essentially. Um, and what was it that, that drove that behaviour? Um, a bit of a, a 180, I then moved to, to John Lewis. So there wasn't, um, not a massive thread between the police and, and John Lewis, um, but I moved from one data role to another. So I, I was a di uh, data business analyst in my first role at John Lewis. So quite a big change. Um, a lot of this was around moving systems, data governance, training sales teams on new systems and how to input the information on their side to ensure that we kept the data as clean as possible. Um, so I moved into a secondment um, as a customer experience and insights analyst from that, and I became a social listening expert. Again, very data heavy, uh, but really interesting to see how people act differently on different social media platforms. So for example, mm -hmm. people use Twitter more heavily to complain. Um, Instagram was more around inspiration um, and around what they bought and what, what worked, what was great about the purchase from John Lewis. And Facebook was a bit of a middle ground. It was a bit of a blend between complaints and, and inspiration. <laughs> Sounds right. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, I then moved into the financial services arm of the company as their data strategy and planning lead. So the first few months of this job were consumed by GDPR, um, like repermissioning our whole base. Um, it then moved into how we could harness the power of our data um, and where we had opportunities to drive marketing effectiveness, as well as additional marketing signups post GDPR through marketing activity. So this role really um, really emphasised to me the power of data and how we could use it to really kind of drive change. So by harnessing different and ranging data points within financial services, um, but also looking at how we could look at um, 
kind of cross partnership so john lewis and waitrose as well we were able to drive kind of around a six times higher quote rate for insurance and just over a two times kind of higher conversion rate so making really significant changes off the back of just looking at how we could use the data and drive that forward um so it really was this role that drove my interest in advertising and understanding the power of data within it um so after around four years at John Lewis, which a company that I absolutely loved, um, I decided to try agency side. So really mixing it up again um, and worked as a senior data strategist um, at Oliver, helping to build out their strategy function and specifically working on Adidas. So I was working very heavily on looking at test and learn approach within um, campaign creatives which helped give an interesting view of, again, different data points, but also highlighting how different creatives have an impact on people's actions and what drives greater conversion. So a great example of this is when there's a sale on, um, there are two different types. One was just the sale price and one was the original price with a, a line through it and the new price. And just by seeing that original price with um, a, lot, a strike through and the new price drove mm. much more conversion because people felt like they were getting a much better deal as opposed to just having having the sale price. So it's really interesting little nuggets like that, which just shows that small little changes can really help drive behavior and engagement differently. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm now at Global. Um, I've been at, on the strategy side of data for around five years, and I thought moving over to product would really help kind of give me a rounded view of what I can kind of help drive forward, essentially. So this job is very much around our ability to um, identify interests and intent and behaviours, as well as attitudes, to ensure that when we're targeting, we're reaching the right people at the right time, um, hopefully driving significant action off the back of it, and ultimately measuring the impact of what our channels are having to prove that that campaign is having the effect that, that we want it to have. Amazing. Um, it sounds like there are lots of different experiences where you were a key um, proponent of thinking um, user first and privacy first and data first. Um, out of those various experiences, what would you pick out as your biggest accomplishment? It's really difficult to, to pick on, on one because um, also I'm not going to steal the limelight i mean as, as i've said my team are amazing and a, a lot of brilliant work has been done by them as, as well as uh, hopefully i've had an integral part of, of these uh, work streams as well um but i would say even building those teams and seeing how kind of high functioning they are has been a massive accomplishment in itself and also opening as a team lots of opportunities for ourselves and identifying where the gaps and um, opportunities are so I would say that um, seeing the team getting on with their work to such a high standard, we've created a huge number of tools which allow for our internal teams to plan and target more effectively. We have innovation at the absolute core of everything that, that we do. We have um, a team mission statement, uh, which we kind of all sat down and, and put, put on paper together. And it was really important to me that we did do that as a team so that we were all really bought into exactly what we stood for. Um, and innovation was at the very core of it that we all agreed as a product team, we want to innovate in this space. We want to drive forward new products, new tools, um, forward thinking, essentially. Um, so seeing the team thrive and get fantastic feedback from across the business and the industry is such great validation that what we're doing is is the right thing. Um, and we're kind of helping the business, the cl our clients and the industry kind of move forward in that direction. I would say the second was around uh, launching DAX audiences um, at Global. I mentioned it briefly earlier. This was a huge project um, with many stakeholders across the business where we were looking at um, the addressability issue. So especially um, as so much of our listen listening comes from smart speakers um, and not many people are logged in um, on smart speakers. So you 
it's really difficult to be able to, to target them effectively. Um, working really closely with the data science team and looking at the audience segments, which are most sought after and how we could increase our scale to make non-addressable inventory targetable. It was a long process with a huge amount of due diligence. Um, we kind of had accreditation off the back of it and a very structured um, rollout process to ensure that nothing broke along the way and we were being able to achieve what we wanted to um, with a lot of reporting alongside it. Um, the process as a result has been to, we've been able to increase scale in some audiences of up to 700%. So a massive, wow. massive uplift. Um, huge success. Yeah, it's been um, it's been really great to see how successful it's been, not just internally, but um, being able to fill that demand as well is um, a mm -hmm. massive success for us. So we are now looking at the next steps um, and what the next steps will look like. And hopefully uh, we'll be able to talk about that um, in more detail soon, leaving on a bit of a cliffhanger around what <laughs> might be coming next. <laughs> we look forward to it. Kudos to you and to the entire team at Global. There are always hurdles on any journey. Can you talk a little bit about how you overcame some of yours? Um, so I think there's a few ways to, to look at it. I think from a, a professional standpoint, when you say you work in data, suddenly people get a bit scared of the word data, don't really understand what it means. They say that they aren't data people, whatever, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, so I think a big part of my data journey has been helping people who aren't um, kind of in their words, data people, um, to realize that data is everything. Kind of information that sits around their job is still data. Um, you know, what they do on social media and the information that we can get from that is data. So it, it really kind of touches everyone in terms of uh, their day-to-day their, their -day life. It's not just numbers or coding or, te or technical information. There's so much more to it than that. Um, I think along the same lines is awareness of data. So it's often the case that the importance and significance um, of not just any data, but really good quality data can be overlooked and historically by quite senior leaders. Um, I think that is changing. Um, it's not that they don't care about it. It's more just about there's a lack of knowledge around the area and data as an industry and the power that it really wields. Um, I think this has become less prevalent in, in recent years as in people are starting to realize how powerful data can be, especially good quality, clean first party data and, and, and what you can do with it. Um, so I would say selling in the need to invest in this area um, and to have data governance in place. There is no point having data if it is bad quality data. Um, mm -hmm. You know, what you put in, you get out. So if you put rubbish in, you're just going to get rubbish out. Mm -hmm. um, so but I think it's really selling the importance of that to, to senior leaders um, and really mm -hmm. around um, putting kind of time, money and effort behind the ability to capture better first party data and then how we can activate from it. Um, has been a hurdle, not just for me, but the industry. But I, I think we're kind of getting to the point now where people are starting to realise really what the time and investment that needs to happen into data. Um, I think in terms of how I approach them, it's really been around selling in the, um, the the possible if investment was made in this area. What could we do with the data? How could we commercialise it? So really focusing in on the benefit back to the business, um, but also highlighting the risk if the investment isn't made um, and the chance of falling behind the industry as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I think bringing everybody along on the journey can be a challenge when you have stakeholders whose remits um might not always overlap, but for something as critical in future-proofing the industry as clean um, first-party data, I think it's good to to kind of um, evangelize what we're all doing across our entire organizations, and hopefully platforms like InfoSum can help um, facilitate that process as well across different companies. Um, 
the industry is expansive, but can sometimes feel like a little village where everyone knows everyone. Um, how has networking impacted your career? So networking is a great way of meeting like-minded people. Um, I think one of the main advantages um, to networking is realizing that everyone in the room um, and in the industry are facing the same challenges and hurdles that you're facing. Um, it really creates an air of everyone tackling the same issues together. It's also a really collaborative space where people see the industry as a whole um, and want to progress it and move it forward. It's not, I'm not going to share something because I want to keep this for myself. It's really looking at how as an industry can, can we move forward and tackle the problems together. Um, so it's it's less about kind of what I'm doing, but more about what can we do. Um, I think looking at how we can, can can collaborate and share more widely is how really the industry is going to going to move forward more more effectively. I've met some incredible people through networking, which creates a community of people you can reach out to um, for support or advice. I'd also say that um, with it being Women's History Month, um, mm-hmm. I've recently um, gone to the Women in Data conference, which, again, was a fantastic place to network and meet other women in the industry um, to share experiences um, and the journey that we're all going on around being in a industry that is very underrepresented um, for, for women um, and how we can try to overcome that and, and balance out the scale slightly. So. I think even if there's um, kind of a minority representation within an industry, networking really helps to um, expand your your reach, finding like-minded people and looking at how, how to tackle the, the, the problem together. Yeah, that's definitely one really important um, piece of the puzzle in moving towards a better and brighter future for uh, generations to come. Are there any other um, solutions or ways of working that come to mind as to how we can help empower women in our industry um, or the world at large? I think it's a really important question and one that isn't asked often enough. Um, I hadn't been to like a female data conference before. And when I did go to the the Women in Data conference, it was so empowering and so... um, just interesting a lot of the information that came out of it was so interesting and eye-opening I think it's often the case still today that I'll be in meetings with data teams and I will be the only woman in the room and that Mm -hmm. is really not rare not rare at all and I think a lot of this stems from, from a young age as I mentioned earlier when I was at school I had absolutely no idea about the job that I'm in now let alone the whole industry um it was never put forward to me as an option I did go to an all-girls school. I have no idea if that was part of the reason why. Um, that is not um, to say that my school did anything wrong. I mean, I went to a great school, but it just wasn't it, it wasn't an option. It wasn't on the table. Um, but you look at some areas which kind of touch closely to data, such as kind of IT or tech or maths. And again, they're all really male-dominated industries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are a few things that need to be done to, to change this. The first is being able to reach girls at a young age to help break gender stereotypes. I still think there are plenty of stereotypes out there and they think they think of data or they think of maths or they think of coding or technology or anything technical. And they think, oh, well, you know, boys do that, men do that. Um, and I think there's a, an air of almost intimidation in it as well. Being the only woman in a, in a room of men is can be quite intimidating. Um, and I think sometimes you feel like you need to speak louder or shout louder to be heard in that room. And that isn't the right approach. That is not how I work. That is not how I think a lot of my colleagues work. Um, and it's really just adjusting what those norms look like. Um, 
and I think it's not just explaining what the options are um, and within industries and, and what's possible. I think it's explaining that data aren't just numbers and it's not just a technical role. There's so much more to it. My role is not technical. There is there is so much more to da- data than zeros and ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I know there are initiatives out there looking into getting kind of girls at secondary school kind of understanding what the options are out there. But there, there is just so much more that can be done. Um, I think there's a job for organisations to even out gender disparity in the industry as well. Um, only around 25% of people in data roles are women. Um, so I think at the point where you know, you're interviewing and you're getting data people in roles, yes, absolutely, let's try to even the scales and bring more, more women in. But I think it needs to start earlier than that um, because I don't have data behind it, but I would be very surprised if more men didn't apply for those roles than women so it's right how do we get more women putting themselves forward mm-hmm. roles but also giving them the confidence just to go for it like even if you don't think that you're quite there yet just go for the role have confidence in yourself back yourself um i read an article once where it was saying that on a job description women feel like they need to fulfill like 100 percent i remember this yeah like the criteria to apply for it and I think men feel the need to be able to fulfill 40% of it and I read Mm -hmm. that and I was so outraged (laughs) I was so outraged that that is how um women kind of put themselves down or how how men put themselves up however you want to however you want to look at look at it that I thought absolutely not I am not going to be that statistic and Mm -hmm. it was genuinely the article that changed my whole mindset and now every time I see a job you never feel 100% of the criteria because no one does. And if you do, you're too qualified for that job already at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, just go for it. You've got absolutely nothing to lose by just having that bit of confidence in yourself and putting yourself forward for that role, that opportunity, that challenge. And it guarantees that you have um, opportunity to grow and learn. It's a good thing if there exactly. are still some some uncharted areas for you. But um, I agree. I've also been trying to adopt more of the um, lean in approach and almost go through the motions of saying yes before my brain can catch up and think twice about it. Um, and, it and looking back at your career, I also think it would be really helpful for our industry and uh, peer industries, especially in STEM, to contextualize the the different roles we have available for people in various majors. So, for example, if you're interested in psychology. How does that come to bear in data or in advertising? It doesn't just have to be that you start also in computer science and then have you know a linear path. I think it, it's nice to pick out connecting factors across subjects at school and then uh, roles in the industry. For example, storytelling is can be a really powerful skill to have, I think, in our industry. And that's one that could come from literature. So it's not always as uh, black and white or obvious as meets the eye. And I agree with you encouraging curiosity and just kind of going for it is key yeah I totally agree and I think actually you don't want everyone from the same technical background in your team because you're just going to have one one view one set one set of skill sets and suddenly you're going to have loads of work streams coming up and no one has the right skill set to be able to answer those work streams so in my team I would want a vast range of technical ability data data literacy storytelling ability um all of it I, I want the whole range in there because if everyone has got one skill set we are not going to be a, a high achieving team yeah not holistic couldn't agree more um 
another big uh, topic for our industry is identity. <laughs> um, identity for targeting and measurement across devices and platforms, especially as we phase out third-party identifiers. Zooming out a little bit, how would you explain the term identity to a 10-year-old? So I would say identity is who you are. Um, it's all the little things that make you you. That's not just physical. You might have brown hair, you might have blue eyes, you might be tall, you might be short, but you're so much more than just all of those physical physical attributes. You have interests and you have hobbies. You behave in a certain way because of what you believe or what you've learnt. You have attitudes about things which drive your behaviour and why you do things. And all of these different parts of you that make you, you, are shown in everything you do. So how you act in person to people or how you behave on a website or social media platforms or apps, everything that makes you you comes across in those ways. So all of your devices, across all of them, across everything that you do, shows your interests and your behaviours and attitudes and that all makes up your, your identity. I think that's a lovely definition of identity. Um, marketing revolves around consumer needs that touch on many of those points in terms of attitude, for example, and what drives us each to do the things that we do every day. What are some of the challenges your clients and partners face, um, maybe as well as global, in terms of in terms of marrying consumer needs and privacy? Yeah, so this is one of my key focuses at the moment. So it's never been more clear that first-party data is king. Um, that is where all, all the power comes from. That is where you can really start to harness what you've got. Um, with the deprecation of cookies, IDFAs, people being more aware of um, the data they're giving away and their consent, it's never been a more important time to review data strategies surrounding first-party data, the breadth and quality and the opportunity that data partnerships have and how you can harness and enrich first-party data. So some of the challenges include the ability to target as effectively as possible with lessening consent and addressability and also the ability to measure as effectively with the deprecation of cookies. So global focusing really heavily on both of these issues and looking to tackle them um, kind of as head on as we can. Um, so firstly, on the ability to target effectively um, and with significant scale. So DAX audiences answers the scale piece, um, mm -hmm. making non-addressable inventory targetable. And this is our first step around um, looking at scale. Um, the second is how can then we harness our first party data? So we are absolutely looking at the data points that we hold internally we have a huge breadth of listening data um, of content editorial content data um, we have podcasts gaming audio articles so we have a great breadth of listening data um, but there are naturally gaps um, that we will never be able to fill with our current offering so it's looking at what partnerships can we look at um, that will help to, to, to fill these gaps essentially um, so we are, InfoSum, again, is at the very centre of what we have available to us and, and what, we're, what we're doing. How can we be entirely compliant um, without sharing data, without personal information being that blocker to understand um, the significant overlaps that we have with other first party data that from other companies and looking from mm -hmm. a second party perspective to build partnerships with them to build and enrich what we have um, to understand our audiences and our listeners more effectively and to target as effectively as possible with scale as well it's all very good being mm -hmm. able to target effectively but if that targeting has two people in it it's not going to be particularly um, effective so how can we look at 
whilst keeping that scale, being able to bring in other partnerships, other companies, which is kind of a mutually beneficial um, kind of agreement between the two. Um, and how can we really target off that? Um, the other is really around measurement. So we have a few really exciting work streams at the moment, looking at very robust measurement solutions in a cookie-less world. Um, we're looking to move to a testing phase. So, and we're really keen to keen to be kind of incredibly collaborative with clients and partners and work alongside them to ensure the products we're creating really answer their needs directly. Again, there are some opportunities here where InfoSum will be critical around how do we look at... Um, especially looking at kind of FMCG products, how can we look at using InfoSum to understand the uplift um, from an FMCG perspective off, off the back of a campaign? And there are partnerships that we're looking at how we can drive that forward as well. Perfect. Thank you. And how can we as an industry ensure consumer trust is central to our business objectives, something that I think Global is doing an amazing job of already? Yeah, so I mean, it's always kind of customer first in terms of, of what we're doing we are in gdpr consent is at the forefront um i think it's around um people are becoming much more savvy with their data who they want to share it with and what's done with it essentially so when it comes to that data there's a fine line between using it for the desired use case that people would expect and then overstepping the mark and using too much of it or in a way that seems invasive so ultimately the customer should always come first in approach in methodology and how their data is being used um, being transparent and luckily we have a brilliant legal team that keeps us on the straight and narrow um, and ensuring that all consents are captured and using data in accordance um, kind of with with the right um, kind of regulations and legislations will make sure that consumers kind of keep or hopefully regain if it's lost some trust in kind of um, advertising and how, how we're using their personal information. Brilliant. Thank you. And our final question um, to round out this lovely chat in honor of Women's History Month, who has been a female mentor and role model for you, Jess? I think a lot of women along my journey have been role models, um, especially because a huge proportion of my career has been in data. Um, the women who have been the most inspirational um, don't feel like they need to play men at their game. They don't need to play by their rules. They play by their rules. They do it their way and they do it really, really well. They trailblaze because they're just good at what they do. They don't need to prove a point. They don't need to show anything. They just get on and do it and they do it fantastically. So despite having to probably work twice as hard to get there because they're a woman in a, in a male industry, they just get on and they do it and they don't complain about it and they do such a good job that really their work speaks volumes. Um, I recently heard um, Dame Stephanie Shelley talk um, and she did exactly that. She paved the way for other women. She tried to give women all the opportunities and never allowed herself to be told that she can't. Mm. I'd like to think in years to come, I can follow the path that others who have motivated me have. Um, and I can maybe inspire one woman to be confident in herself and not to back down in a man's industry. And if every woman in data can just do this for one other woman, then maybe we can start to even out representation within the industry. Well, you've already inspired me today and I'm sure many other listeners. Thank you so much for sitting down with me, Jess. And thanks everybody who tuned in. Thanks so much.
Thanks again to Jessica for joining us on Identity Architects. What a fascinating discussion. It was great to hear about Jessica's journey in data and how Global is prioritizing consumer privacy and the rise of first party data. All that leaves for me to do is to remind you to hit that subscribe button so you know when the next episode of Identity Architects lands. But until then, thanks for listening. Thank you.